It's July the 26th. Let's read the Bible. Friends, welcome back to this year-long journey from Genesis to Revelation in just one year. We are near the end of the month of July, meaning we are six, now almost seven months into this 12-month journey, only five more months to go. Now, we have been, the last few days, we've been journeying through Ezra and Nehemiah, the, the world of the Israelites, the Jews, as they came back from Babylon and tried to rebuild their shattered lives and tried to rebuild the temple, rebuild themselves spiritually, take a census of everybody, and ultimately rebuild the walls around the city and become a functioning people, a functioning nation again. Now, having gone through that, we are jumping from the Old Testament into what may be the greatest book in the New Testament. We are starting today the epistle to the Romans. Today, we're going to look at Romans 1 and 2. Before we get there, let me say just a few words about this wonderful book. I'm going to call Romans, give it a title, God's Good News. It's a letter Paul wrote from Corinth to the church in Rome. Now, and just stop there for a second and say, if you remember in our reading of the book of Acts, Paul was in Corinth, and then he left there and went down to Jerusalem. That's where he was arrested, sent to Caesarea, and he met Festus, and he met Felix, and he gave the great testimony before King Agrippa, then that, that crazy, wild boat journey with the boat wreck and shipwreck and all of that. But he ends up finally in Rome. He's under house arrest in Rome, and there with boldness unhindered, he preaches the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what you need to know is this book, the book of Romans, was written before Paul came to Rome. It's written before he was arrested. It was written while he was in the city of Corinth in about the year 57, 58. Now, I'm going to give you a very simple outline for the book. Condemnation, justification, sanctification, vindication, application. Condemnation, chapters 1, 2, and 3. The whole human race is under the condemnation of God for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then justification, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then sanctification, shall we uh, continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. There is, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's chapter 6, 7, and 8. And then vindication, it's the question, has God rejected the nation of Israel forever? And the answer is no. God still has a plan for Israel as a nation. And finally, application. Uh, therefore, in light of all the mercies of God, I beseech you, brothers, present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. So, condemnation, one to three. Justification, four and five. Sanctification, six through eight. Vindication, nine through 11. Application, 12 through 16. Someone has said, this is the most important letter, not just in the New Testament, not just in the Bible. Someone has said this is the most important letter anyone has ever written because it is the clearest, plainest exposition of the true biblical saving gospel in all the Bible. In fact, you may remember that uh, Martin Luther loved the book of Romans. In fact, he was, he was gripped by uh, the just shall live by faith. It, it's one of the texts 
that God used to deliver him from uh, what he called monkery, from, from being a Roman Catholic monk and set him free to the gospel of the free grace of God. He was a great preacher of Romans. He wrote a preface to Romans, just an introduction to his commentary, that he, many years later, a young discouraged evangelist by the name of John Wesley went to a meeting in Aldersgate in London, and the message that night was the reading of Luther's preface to his commentary on Romans, and John Wesley said, I didn't even want to be there, but as, as he talked about living faith and the power of Christ to change lives, when he heard the message of the gospel, John Wesley famously said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. He was born again, born again through hearing Luther's preface to the commentary on the book of Romans. John Bunyan was reading Romans, got so stirred up that uh, 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 he, he began to write. And uh, if you think about it, think about it, so many people, uh, so many people have, have, have read this book have been changed by this book. No book is more important for today in a world of such spiritual confusion, denial of spiritual truth. We desperately need the book of Romans. Three quick reasons why we need the book. And friends, I know I'm taking longer than I usually do, but come on now. This is the book of Romans. It's the clearest statement of the gospel. That's number one. Number two, it's the most penetrating explanation of the moral dilemma of mankind. Why are people the way they are? Why are people evil and corrupt? Why do they do the same? Why do we do the same things over and over and over again? The clearest statement of the gospel, the most penetrating analysis of the moral dilemma of mankind, and it is the clearest exposition of true biblical Christian theology. Uh, Luther said, this is the most important book in the Bible. And he said, we ought to read it teach it and believe it, and then read it and teach it and believe it all over again. All right, then, let's get started. Romans 1 and 2, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son, that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers, that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I very much want to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated, both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their heart to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Romans 2. Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse, for when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, since you, the judge, do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Do you think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment is revealed, he will repay each one according to his works, eternal life, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking, and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for there is no favoritism with God for all who sin without the law will also perish without the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law do what the law demands, 
they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciousness, their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. Now, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law, and even if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law, you then who teach another. Don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal. Do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. But if you're a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will not his circumcision be counted as circumcision? Will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? A man who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the Spirit. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. Got a couple of hours? <laughs> no, we don't. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I can't wait to come to Rome, he said. He wanted to preach to all the Gentiles everywhere. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But Paul, Paul, what about the people who've never heard? What about the people who don't have the law? For the wrath of God is revealed against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That's everybody who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Paul's whole argument is even, even the people, that the, the so-called the so-called heathen in Africa, although I suppose they're more heathen on Wall Street probably or in Hollywood or who knows, here in Kansas City, who knows? There's more heathen in America than there are in the, quote, darkest jungles of Africa. I mean, among the people who don't know God. Paul's argument is, but God has made something about God has gotten through to every man, every man. His, the, the truth about his Godhead, everybody knows there is a God. Everybody knows they were made by God. Everybody knows they're going to have to answer to God in the truest and deepest sense. There are no atheists. It's impossible. It's unnatural. There's nothing more natural than atheism because God has revealed himself. He's left his fingerprints in every human heart. So when you rebel against the God who made you, you are therefore without excuse. But what happens? What happens to people who turn from God? Well, when, when, when you don't, when you don't follow the light that you have, you uh, light received leads to more light, but light rejected leads only to the darkness. The darkness is first immorality and idol worship, and then it is sexual immorality. Then it is especially perverse forms of sexuality. So he's saying you can't get away from the fact that he singles out homosexuality and 
Romans 1 as a particularly evil manifestation. It's a, it's a sign of God's judgment on society. But, but beyond that, then, that long list of things at the end of Romans 1, God gave them up. And I, you know, uh, I think the King James says God gave them up, and the CSB says God delivered them over. It's paradokin. It's actually a judicial term. It means to, to deliver over for judgment three times. Three times it says God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. Talking about the whole human race. God made himself clear. He did. But those who reject the truth, there's no way to go up. Once you reject God, you only go down. And the question about sexual immorality and homosexuality, it's, it's just a symptom. The root cause is rebellion against God. And the end of it all is the total destruction of society as people not only do wrong, but praise those who do wrong. Is that not where we are today? Now, a religious person may hear that, well, I thank God I'm not like those sinful people. And Paul says, don't be bragging about anything. You, you say you keep the law, but you don't. You say you don't steal, but you do. You say you don't lie, but you do. You say you don't commit adultery, but you do. You, you, you religious man, you are just as guilty as a so-called heathen. In fact, in some ways you're worse because you've had the truth of God given to you. You have not followed it in your pride and in your arrogance. Oh man, I gotta quit, don't I? I know, I gotta quit. It's a good book, isn't it, friends? It's a good book. We're gonna stop right here. I want you to go out and have a great day, but ponder who you are. Ponder, ponder who you are apart from the grace of God. Apart from Christ. Apart from God's grace. Who are you? What's in you? And where would you go if God had not come to you? If Jesus had not found you? There's no hope for anybody outside of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Romans is all about God's good news. Okay, come back tomorrow. We've talked about the bad news. Tomorrow, we're going to get into the good news. And it's really good. God bless. See you then.